After taking the first season of the podcast down for a revamp, there were certain episodes listeners said should still be available, so I'm redoing most of them. This is one of them because it really fits the new theme, even though it starts with a tragedy, because it really is about uncommon sense, or really, what people with uncommon sense realize and do. I'm Brandy Cassingham. Welcome to Uncommon Sense. What follows is an interview recorded in early November 2017. One note, I say in the recording that the show page is on the website as Podcast 17. That was then, this is now. The show page is thisistrue.com slash podcast20, where you can find a transcript and a place to comment. Also carried over from the original, the Easter egg at the end. With that, here we go. I'm Randy Cassingham, and this week I'm joined by a special guest, my old friend Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com, which has the tagline, Making Technology Work for Everyone. Welcome, Leo. Hey, Randy. Good to talk to you. You'll understand in a moment why I asked Leo to join us this week, because this week we're discussing a story from issue 1220 of the newsletter, which will be included on the show page at thisistrue.com slash podcast 17. It's called Wake Up Call, and you'll see why I called it that in a moment if you don't already realize why. It's about the firestorm that burned down one in 20 homes in Santa Rosa, California recently, and it also took down a couple of modular buildings at Keysight Technologies. Inside, the collected archives of William Hewlett and David Packard, the founders of the iconic Hewlett-Packard Company in 1938, started in a garage that's the birthplace of Silicon Valley, according to its historic landmark designation. The quote-unquote irreplaceable papers, which included photos, correspondence, and speeches by the two high-tech icons, were valued at $1.9 million 12 years ago, with the appraiser saying that the archive was, quote, of the highest possible historical value in the history of technology and business. It was pulled together when HP hired archivist Karen Lewis. When she first saw the papers and photos, she said, oh my God, this is the history of Silicon Valley. This is the history of the electronics industry. Lewis kept the resulting archive in a humidity-controlled vault with a fire protection system, not the sort of shed Keysight put it into when it took over HP's electronics test and measurement business. A Keysight spokesman brushed off criticism saying the company, quote, took appropriate and reasonable steps to safeguard the archives. This is a sad, unfortunate situation, said that spokesman, Jeff Weber. This is the time to begin healing not assign blame, unquote, which is the sort of thing someone says when they really deserve blame. But my tagline on the story, if only HP made document scanners so that there wasn't a single copy of everything. And that ties in with what Leo has been preaching in his own newsletter for years, which is... If there's only one copy, it's not backed up. And the story of losing the irreplaceable in a fire has special relevance for you, Leo, and is maybe rooted in something in your own history. Yeah, I, earlier this year, I actually did a video podcast on this when I was nine years old. 
1966, there was a fire at my grandparents' house back in the Netherlands. Now, my parents had left the country in like 1952, something like that, and they didn't take a lot with them, which meant that a lot of their heirlooms were in that house and, in fact, destroyed by the fire. In addition, I also learned actually just late last year that my grandfather was one of the first people in his area to actually take up photography as a hobby. Oh, wow. Which meant that um, a lot of his truly, really old photographs uh, were also lost in the fire. Photographs that were, not unlike these documents we're talking about today, uh, completely irreplaceable. Now, one of the things that is most painful about the HP story is that, you know, back in 1966, options for quote unquote backing up photographs were limited. Uh, you would make additional prints maybe and, and store the negatives somewhere else perhaps, but it was a painful, painful process. Today, uh, the documents that we're talking about here for HP, yeah, somebody could have invested in a scanner and taken the time to at least make digital copies of, of these documents. Admittedly, the fire would have destroyed the originals, and that's another discussion to have, of course. But even just having a digital copy of something that important uh, for the legacy that it represents uh, is just, you know, would have, would have been a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. And it represents really a second loss that, you know, the information here is just gone, period. Right. And even before scanners, they had Xerox machines, even with document feeders that they could have just run stuff through. It's sad that they lost the original papers, but they've also lost the information. And that's just the real tragedy of all this. Exactly. Uh, it's funny because one of the things that I've talked about um, on Ask Leo is why I prefer digital photography, because you can make uh, a completely high fidelity, bit for bit, identical copy of any photograph you take in order to be able to back it up with paper, with you know, traditional photography, every print is a little different. And once you scan it, you lose a little bit of the resolution. And yes, you know, if they had taken the time to make a photocopy or scan these documents, sure, the resolution wouldn't have been as high a quality as the original. Uh, I get that. But like you say, it's the information that's the biggest loss here that, uh, that we just, there's no way to recover. There's no way to get it back. Now, my tagline was a little bit sarcastic because HP does, of course, have document scanners and they've had them for many years. Why do you think they didn't use them? That's a really good question. I think that in a lot of ways, well, for one thing, this company that actually suffered the fire was now twice removed from HP. Right. They were, they, you know, they were part of a company that HP spun off, and then they were themselves spun off from that company. So perhaps the thinking that might have said, you know, hey, our company makes scanners wasn't part of the culture at the time. Honestly, I suspect it was more of a budget issue that you know, mm. doing things properly, yeah, it costs in one form or another. Uh, certainly a, a fireproof vault is more expensive than uh, whatever it was they ended up putting it in. Or having an archivist, which obviously is something that HP did prioritize when the collection was part of, uh, you know, when the company was still part of them. Well, plus an archival vault with a fire suppression system and all that. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, it costs. And it's unclear that, you know, this company would have been able to do that. Now, somebody did make the comment in one of the reports on this that in reality, this entire collection should have been handed off to like Stanford. Right. Uh, or, you know, some other organization that's actually tasked with, as part of their mission, preserving the important history of Silicon Valley. And again, it's another opportunity lost, but uh, that would have been the right solution probably in, in the long run. Yeah, it was the archivist herself, um, Ms. Lewis, that said the archive should have gone to Stanford where the founders were alumni. Exactly. And, you know, and that's why so many of these companies, including Google, started up in Silicon Valley because they were Stanford students when they came up with their ideas. Exactly. So, like I said, it's a great loss, but from every loss, you know, we all have this opportunity to learn a lesson. And that's where I tend to come from whenever I hear these stories. Which is why I invited you today. And I thank you very much for that. <laughs> um, everybody needs to hear, hear my, uh, my little mantra that, you know, if you only have one copy of something, or if there's only an original copy of something, you run the risk of losing it. Anything can happen. And I called this wake-up call not just because big companies need to wake up and think about their own archives and how they're protected. But I think it's important for the individual too, which is who you concentrate on. So talk about what kinds of things people have at risk that may not even realize it. Well, certainly anything digital. Um, most people take for granted things like their email and so forth. But once their email account gets hacked, for example, if all their email is in their Gmail account or their Outlook.com account. And all their contacts. And all their contacts, um, you know, all the correspondence, uh, that could all be gone in an instant um, unless you have a backup copy. Digital photographs are a nice segue here because it's something that people at least understand they're taking and they, they do tend to be ephemeral. But they, the number of people I hear of that keep all of their photographs on their phone and are completely heartbroken when they then lose the phone. Or uh, they drop it and it breaks or something, yeah. Or something. Well, at least if you drop it and it breaks, there's still an opportunity to recover. Right? Maybe, there, but not always. I mean, if, if, it, if it's on a, you know, a little chip that you can pull out of the phone and put into your computer, yes. But if the phone's completely wrecked, maybe not. Depends on how much money you're willing to throw out the problem. But nonetheless, the issue, the issue, of course, is that if you lose the phone, none of those options are available to you and all of your photographs are gone. And why throw money at it when it's really very simple to back up the pictures from your phone and your contact information and everything else? There are definitely many ways to um, to do that. And now, now I'll admit, I tend to overkill uh, in the way I handle my own life just because it's kind of the person I am. And I keep seeing so many people lose so much data because they haven't backed up. But when I take a photograph on my phone, within minutes, it's been backed up to Dropbox or to Google Docs or something like that. Uh, that then gets replicated to a number of computers on, you know, here at home. Overnight, those then get replicated up to some more cloud storage. I mean, I kind of sort of go nuts with this. Stuff. You're a backup fiend. I am. Um, and the same is true with my, with my SLR, with my, di with my digital SLR. Yes, for the, for the time it takes me to copy the photographs from the camera to my computer, there's only one copy. And I'm very, very cognizant of that fact when I'm in that situation, especially if I'm traveling. Uh, so I do make extra efforts to copy the photographs to my, to my laptop, for example, if I'm on the road. And by copy, I really do mean copy. I don't remove them from the camera until I'm certain that there's another copy and perhaps even another copy of that copy, you know, safely uh, in a couple of different locations. 
it's not so much that it takes a lot of work. It's more that it takes an awareness. It really takes people paying attention to and prioritizing and understanding the kind of things that they can, uh, can be lost. Another thing people can do that they don't do is simply back up their computer. I have a, uh, a horrific story from, oh gosh, maybe four or five years ago, back when ransomware was first coming out. Mm. And we had a family, a friend of ours, who uh, had, a, had pictures of their grandchild that were encrypted. And unfortunately, the grandchild ended up passing away some years later. And all those pictures are still unrecoverable. They are gone. Had they had a backup prior to the ransomware kicking in, they could have restored everything from the backup. But nonetheless, it's all gone. I actually still have that hard drive in my basement in the by now, very small hope that someday that particular variant of ransomware will get cracked. Um, I'm not holding out much hope for that, but you never know. Yeah. But there are so many things that can go wrong, especially with our digital data these days, that backing up is such a simple concept that it's something that uh, people really need to prioritize more than I think they already do. And I actually had a story, and this is true, fairly recently that there was a fire and the guy's wife or girlfriend called him up and said, hey, the house is on fire. He raced home, arrives. Sure enough, the house is fully engulfed in flame. And rather than, you know, check to make sure his girlfriend's okay, he ran straight into the house. Why? Because he had never backed up his laptop, which had, <laughs> you know, two different novels he was working on. Right. And he had no other copies. Oh, Yeah. Yep. I had years ago when I was first doing, first starting out with Ask Leo, I got email from somebody, a question from somebody who essentially lost his nearly completed master's thesis because there was only one copy. And I think the account got hacked or it got accidentally deleted. You know, you can imagine the amount of, the amount of, of information, the amount of value in the information we have today is incredible. It can be lost easily, but it can also be backed up trivially. And that's, I just hate to see people miss out on that. You know, this goes back for me to the early days of digital data since I worked for the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And they're the ones that sent the probes to the moon prior to the moon landings, the probes to the outer planets, et cetera. They got what they needed to get the moon landing done successfully by Neil Armstrong and his followers. But they didn't actually fully process that data. They just had them on these reels of nine-track tape that use these big refrigerator-sized tape decks to, to read these digital tapes. And, you know, they don't make those nine-track tape recorders anymore. They never went through all this data and processed it fully. And they have no backups. They have, you know, they didn't spin this off onto, onto you know, more modern data formats so they could look at it later. And a lot of that data was completely lost. That actually is one of the objections I sometimes get to um, keeping things in digital form is that the formats keep changing. Yeah. And, in, and in fact, there was just a recent um, XKCD comic that basically made fun of that as I'll link well. to it. Yeah, there, there are a couple of things I think we can count on for the long term. You know, things like PDFs, things like JPEGs, they're going to be around. You know, the, the ability to decode them, to understand them is going to be around for uh, millennia. I honestly believe that. But not necessarily the format they're recorded on. I mean, you could have Correct. put a JPEG on a nine track tape, but if you don't have a way to read that tape, exactly. you can't and decode that JPEG. And today, for example, if I had something on a three and a half inch floppy disk, I'd be hard pressed to come up with a way to read it. But I could, right? There are, there are definitely ways to do so. 
it does require a certain amount of ongoing I don't, I hesitate to call it maintenance, but again, it requires a little bit of awareness. And it really is weight maintenance. I mean, if you know that your five and a quarter floppies are going away, yeah, you got to re-record them onto three and a half inch floppies. Right. And when they went went away, then you got to put them onto something else. So the nice thing about digital data is making a copy of something is trivial. So do it while you can. I have, um, gosh, from my early years at Microsoft, I had some stuff that was burned onto CD-ROM. Well, that's great. It was a good backup mechanism at the time, but CDs, especially the burnable kind, they have a lifespan. They tend to degrade over time. So some years ago, I took time, a little bit of time, to sequentially copy each one of those CDs onto a hard disk. Now that hard disk well, that hard disk has been copied and copied since then because I've moved it from machine to machine. But that hard disk is actually now also part of the kinds of things that I back up automatically to the cloud. So that means that even if all my machines here at home were to somehow disappear, uh, you know, three or four Amazon data centers would all have to implode before I'd actually lose any data. Right. And those are probably geographically separated to different parts of the world so that exactly. it's unlikely that they'll all get wrecked at the same time. It is unlikely. And that's actually one of the interesting thoughts, I suppose, about cloud storage. Again, people have concerns about cloud, uh, you know, using cloud services of you know, privacy and security and so forth. But the other side of the coin is that they're handling the physical aspect of how this data gets stored. I honestly don't care how the data gets stored as long as I can access it. And I'm sure that they're constantly migrating things around to different hardware as hardware improves, as their systems scale, um, as the technology underlying them all changes. That all becomes pretty transparent to us because that's their job. That's what they do. They handle making that data available to so what's your bottom line for a listener that maybe not isn't all that techie and doesn't have the hardware or software and just wants to make sure that his correspondence, his baby pictures, um, his grandkids' pictures are somehow saved? Well, the very self-serving answer, of course, is to go visit askleo.com and search for the word backup because I have multiple articles on backing up, how to back up, what to back up. Um, I even what have- What software those, to use. Exactly. I have some step to, step-by-step articles on exactly, not just what software to use, but step-by-step walking you through actually using that software to perform the backups that, you, uh, that I think are important. I, you know, I, I understand that it can feel intimidating uh, to a lot of people. And I think that once people understand that it's really not as hard as it seems and that a lot of it, a lot of it can just be automated. Computers are great at doing repetitive tasks without, you know, you know under some you know, limited instruction. This is an awesome opportunity for computers to do that, to do something automatically for you. Backing up your data is one of them. So one thing when we first talked about this and, and having you on the show to, to talk about this is that you wondered, really, they didn't scan it? How do you know? The source story that I used from the Santa Rosa Press Democrat actually covered that. Brad Whitworth, who was an HP International Affairs Manager with oversight of the archives 30 years ago, said a huge piece of American business history is gone. He said Hewlett-Packard had been at the forefront of an industry that has radically changed the world. So he basically thinks or knows that there isn't a backup. There aren't scans of of these original papers. I would assume that if he's saying something like that, that it's literally gone, then yeah, there, there weren't any backups. 
Right. And Karen Lewis, the archivist who I quoted in my version of the story said, this could easily have been prevented and it's a huge loss. So she thinks it's all gone too. And Raymond Price, co-author of the 2009 book, The HP Phenomenon, Innovation and Business Transformation, said that while he got limited access to the archives when researching the book and wished they could have seen more, he said we would have killed to have those records and to go through their personal papers since the archives contained such valuable insights into how companies grow. To me, it's just tragic. So pretty much people that are in the know are pretty assured that those were the only copies. And that's very sad. This is a high-tech company that really ought to know better. Well, and as you point out in, in your, um, your you know, comment on the story, uh, it's ultimately ironic just because what do I have downstairs, an HP scanner? Right. What am I using you know, to, to scan the, the old photographs from my parents that I actually do still have to make sure that there's more than one copy? HP equipment. So it is ironic, and I hope people uh, people learn a little bit from it. And I hope it's a wake-up call, not just to big companies, but to everybody out there that doesn't have their critical information backed up. Because as you say, Leo, if it's only in one place, it's not backed up and it could be lost. Exactly. In addition to True's newsletter, you can subscribe at thisistrue.com. There's a weekly Ask Leo newsletter, too, which, unsurprisingly, you can find at askleo.com. And I'll put a link to that on the show page. Thanks for joining us, Leo. Hey, thanks for having me, Randy. And back to the present, episode 20. So there you go. People with uncommon sense understand that technology has its limits. And it's ridiculously easy for a hard drive to crash, a computer or phone to get stolen, or a house, or a business, to burn down. If something is important to you, your digital photographs, scanned documents, the manuscript for your great American novel, or your thesis or dissertation, you need to take action now to protect it. Back it up, and make sure there's a copy of that backup somewhere else besides the location where the main copy is. Yet Leo frequently gets the question, how do I get this only copy of whatever back? Very often, they can't. Ever. It's something to think about. Again, the show page for this episode, which has a transcript, is thisistrue.com slash podcast20, which is also the place where you can comment. I'm Randy Cassingham, and I'll talk at you later. You're getting better with every episode. You know, a lot of these early episodes especially are somewhat practice for you. And, and <laughs> that reminds me. I should mute my phone. <laughs> Star Trek sounds on your phone. You geek. Just like me.